Welcome to another episode of Games Well. I am Gemma, and I am joined by Kev, Hello. Ed, Hello. and Joe. Hello. For this episode, we're going to be talking about narrative in video games. So first of all, Kev, what are you playing this week? Far too much Sonic Mania, but that, that's something new. <laughs> Ed? Um, I'm playing through uh, Hitman 3 at the moment. And Joe? Uh, Resident Evil 2. Um, decided I want to get the last couple of trophies on it. Not quite up build to 4 yet, but... Like the original or the remake? The remake. I just need the last couple of trophies. I need to find... I've got 57, 56 out of 57 files, and mm. there's no thing that you can click on to tell you which one you're missing. So I have to, oh, I have to no. play through all four campaigns again <laughs> using a guide to find just one thing. And so low means it'll be the last playthrough and the last one that I need, won't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, probably. And then I've got to finish the fourth survivor, but I haven't cracked on that yet. Cool. So we're talking about narrative in video games for this episode. And this topic itself is really big. Um, and this is probably going to be, um, well, most likely going to be entirely subjective because this is all down to personal tastes. Because the stories that we like and dislike are personal to us as individuals. So everything will be opinion based and not fact. As a disclaimer, we are not including discussion that revolves around The Last of Us and specifically The Last of Us Part 2, mostly Part 2, um, because not all of us have completed the game and Hello. the franchise is... <laughs> Ed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the franchise is just a separate discussion within itself, which just feels way too big to include in this episode. So we're going to cover The Last of Us in a separate episode at a later date. That being said, we're just going to dive right in. To kind of set up this first question, we're surrounded by stories every single day. So in real life, as well as in media, video games seem to still be left at the bottom of the pile in terms of creative credibility, which is nonsense given the amount of huge single-player story-driven games that are out there and on such a cinematic scale with things like Uncharted 4, 2018's God of War, two major examples. But there seems to be a question of whether or not gamers really care or feel invested in narrative-focused games, which is really why I wanted to do this topic. It could just be down to personal taste and interests, but seeing as some of the most notorious and popular games do tend to be of that genre, my first question, which I'm going to pose to Kev first, is does story matter to you? And you can just give us a brief reason why. Um, well, the very short answer is yes. Um, absolutely. Um, it does play a huge point in what games I buy. Um, mm -hmm. I'm primarily a single player person, as you'll know anyway. Um, and I also like co-op as opposed to competitive play. So some of the games that you mentioned, like Uncharted, God of War, that sort of stuff. Yes, 100%. That is my jam when it comes to it. Because... As a player, like you guys will know as well, sometimes you really want to sink time into something special if you like it and all the rest of it. Other times you want to just sort of play something, you know, casual sort of chuck away like, I don't know, play something like a Crisis 3. You'll uh, you'll smash it in four hours and then it's job done, pick it up, put it down. And it's rare that you find both that aren't games as a service. The only examples I've got as a blend of like a decent story with a multiplayer, like off the top of my head that I can pick up or down, would be something like Destiny, uh, Borderlands, Gears, if you like, you know, sort of the... I don't know, more I'd say more arcade but it, it's more arcade than the other two, but it's still story-driven. And then Ed mentioned a couple of episodes ago about, like, Gotham Knights and stuff. That sort of thing is a cool co-op multiplayer jam. But regardless of what I'm playing, if I'm sinking X amount of money and time, then yes, I want to be fully immersed in it. 
whether it's a cool character, whether it's a cool story, hopefully both. And with the prices of games going up, especially on current gen, well, next gen, I suppose now, you've got to be selective, and especially for replayability. Yeah. Uh, Joe? I thought about it and thought it does and doesn't, but to Kev's point, the same things really. So it does matter to me the amount of investment I put in it. So there, there is games where there's, a, there's one I played recently where I put it on and I'm totally invested. You know, every night I wanted to carry on with it. Um, I wanted to put two or three hours in to carry on getting through it because I was invested in the story. I needed to know where it was going. I think it does then. It doesn't also because I play a lot of multiplayer games. So if I play COD, I don't need to have a story to the multiplayer. I don't need to have a story. I enjoy that competitive yeah. side with those as well. But into me, although Destiny 2 had a massive story to it, I, I, I loved it. I enjoyed it, but I could play through it again without the story. I like the grind element. I like just yeah. being online and playing through it. Same with Borderlands. I know Borderlands has a great story and I've played through I've played through that one with Kev. I've played through Borderlands 1, 2 countless times. But I couldn't tell you really what happened. I know what happens, but I couldn't really tell you why or what. I just laugh at the com- I laugh at the voices and I, I just literally, I click on a guy and if there's a block of text, I skip it and go to the next and just follow, follow the waypoint. <laughs> yeah. that's, how, that's how I play Borderlands. I'm just looking for bigger yeah. guns. Um, but no, I, I looked in, I thought about this a lot and then to what Kev said about like Gears of War, uh, I was a massive fan of the whole franchise all the way through and i bought i remember getting an xbox but buying an xbox one the first one i bought up not first xbox i bought but for, i mean the first time i bought an xbox one was to play gears of war 4 because I, I couldn't wait for it to come out so i didn't buy one until that point in the minute it come out i bought one to play gears of war 4 then when gears of war 5 came out i bought game pass to play it because i wanted to play this just the story it just wanted to play the story for it i really was excited yeah. to play it Resident Evil 2, when that re came out again, I bought that on launch. I bet I don't buy many games on launch anymore. I begrudge, especially single player, I begrudge paying 50 quid for a game that I know I'm going to get my money's worth out of, but once I've finished it, I've finished it. There's not much else to go back to. So single player games that have to be story driven. There's not many I go out and buy. I'm not going to discuss it, but like Last of Us 2, I, I didn't buy that for on launch. I bought that like a year later. Because yeah. I didn't want to pay. I know when I finished it, you finished it. That's it, isn't it? There's nothing, unless you want to platinum it, there's nothing more to it. So yeah. it does make a thing that I know I want to buy them, but it does influence my purchase and, and it does mean a lot to me. But again, at the same time, I like a lot of multiplayer. So multiplayer doesn't yeah. need to have a story for me, especially if it's co op. As long as it's co op and fun, Gears of War, I love the story, but I quite enjoy just going online with people. But at Horde, Horde just took over, didn't it? Halo campaign oh. was one way I just play the campaign. I, ju- I jump in, I can quite happily skip the cuts. Except for when the Sarge is involved, because when the Sarge is in a cutscene, you have to watch it. It's like an unwritten rule. The Sarge is just <laughs> dead. To listen. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, across, across the galaxy, fighting people yeah. with a really deep voice. But again, I just play that on co-op, and I'm not really bothered about any other story. I just enjoy. I am, but I just yeah. enjoy co-op on it. So yeah, um, yeah, it doesn't doesn't to me. It doesn't. It does. If it's going to have a story, it just has to be good. I mean, there's a there's a line to be drawn between single player and, and multiplayer games because some multiplayers do have a narrative that runs through it, but it's not the focus. It's not at the forefront of the entire game, and that's fine. You know, I enjoy playing multiplayer games as well. So it's like, obviously, I really enjoy a narrative in a game, but I, I don't need it to have a good time. I guess so. There, you know, there's, there's definitely a line there, and with what you were saying before like with single player games sometimes you finish them and you don't feel a need to replay them and i think that comes down a lot to like the replay value of the game as well um a lot of people enjoy story driven games that have a lot of replayability so ed what about you when i buy a game i tend to look at gameplay before story 
Mm. It's like my um, main go-to genres for most of 2020 were like racing games or sandbox games like No Man's Sky. I played a lot of that. And I've been playing a lot of sports games with friends. So it's only recently I've started looking at story-driven single-player games. Like the um, last four games I've bought, uh, Hitman 3, Cyberpunk, Watch Dogs Legion, and Phoenix Immortals Rising, which are all single-player story-driven RPG sort of things, which yeah. is um, a huge step out of my normal comfort zone yeah. for, well, for the last 12 months. So it's like... I think looking at gameplay like and stuff, you can have a really poor story with solid gameplay and the game still be good, uh, from my point of view. Sometimes a story can really elevate poor mechanics. It gets through, it can cut through repetitive gameplay, it can cut through the grind if you're really invested in that story. I remember 2019, I was playing um, Ghost Recon Wildlands. The game was super repetitive. But I was yeah. invested in the story and taking down the cartel and taking down the leaders and learning the backstory behind them all. The game took me like 50, 60 hours to 100%. But <laughs> learning the backstory and the progression through that game, it didn't feel tedious because of the story and the um, the dialogue between the squad. And I'm hoping like um, in future, I start to embrace more story-driven content and single-player RPGs rather than looking at your open game sandbox because it's really opened my eyes to a different style of game I don't normally play. And I think that's one of the really cool things about narrative games as well, is that sometimes it only takes that one to to make you realise that you're probably missing a whole other genre of video yeah, games. absolutely. And that there could be more like that out there. I think that's really yeah, cool. Yeah, it's like I, I don't get a lot of, I say, being an Xbox gamer. You've had, like, Gears, Halo, and like you've got, like, the new game that's hit Game Pass, the medium, and stuff like that. Like Your smaller developers are really bringing in stories into games. Yeah. But in the past, um, Xbox has had, like, Forza. It's got um, Sea of Thieves. I say Minecraft and other games that just are not driven on story, but driven on gameplay and gameplay experiences. No, you look at PlayStation single-player massive blockbusters. Absolutely, I mean, how how many people will still play Halo, will still go out there and play Gears? And, yeah. and month in, month out, week in, day in, day out, they will still. I will still fire that up and play it. Yeah. Whereas, but is that down to gameplay or down to story? It. I'd say gameplay more for me personally. Yeah. I, well, no, yeah. In Gears of War, though, I, I always have an inkling that I just want to play through the through the whole load again. Because <laughs> yeah. the, just the story is that good, and I just love the big guys or massive guns and how violent they are. I just I enjoy playing <laughs> through that story and the character development of what they all do and how things changed and when you go Marcus Phoenix from Gears of War 1, 2, 3 to 4 and 5 I enjoy that progression that natural progression but to what Gemma had pointed out earlier about replayability and such and we said it last episode I mentioned it and Kev sort of agreed with me as well about Resident Evil 3 that I finished that one of the few games I fired straight back up literally that same day and started it again but I'd finished the story there was no B mission there was no extra to it I love the gameplay and I love the story. Yeah. So I, I started it again for both sides. I started it again to now take it on knowing how to play it and re-experience it. And then when I finished it again the following day, even though the first time I finished it, it took like 12 hours. The second time took me about six. And then the third playthrough was like two because you skip everything. Yeah. But the gameplay and the story, I think I think they're both sort of, they do go, obviously, they go hand in hand, don't they? If, yeah. if the gameplay is that good and then the story and the character progression is that good, 
yeah. it just creates this masterpiece like mm. but no like you say Ed I think they create games that people just go back to and back to and back to and back to yeah. so it's a different market I mean it, they, they prefer the multiplayer and that's what they launched when the original Xbox came out with Xbox Live that's what they launched for multiplayer bringing people together and I think they their games do achieve that whereas I do think mm. Sony are yet to achieve that with their first party games I don't think they have yet achieved first party massive replay comeback every year i mean their only game that does it is killzone and granted there were still 40 people playing that the other week when i went on it there's no one else <laughs> on it is there there's still not got people <laughs> there's not got a game yeah. like gears of war or halo have there like sony yeah. they've got that single player story driven hero's journey down to a, a science and it's and it works for them and it sells yeah. consoles and it gets them like game of the year awards it gets some money in the bank but yeah. For someone who likes variation in gameplay and variation in style, you can feel like you're playing the same thing with a different thing and a different style. But essentially, the core gameplay is exactly the same. And yeah, that's think... just like that, yeah. What? Nintendo. Yes, Nintendo. I haven't had a conversation yet. I say this because they have a few really strong first-party franchises. Some of them are mainly gameplay. Some of them are narrative. The better ones seem to be a blend of both, which is why you will see a Zelda on every Nintendo platform. That's why you'll see a Mario on every platform, a Donkey Kong, a Pokemon, etc. And you tend to find, like, even still, people like myself or the people think, you know, fuck yeah, Pokemon Red. Sweet. Everybody remembers cool stuff about that. And when they did the Let's Go games and stuff, I was like, man, this is so cool. As if they did that. Even though, obviously, we're in the the golden age of remasters and re-everything. Yeah, just quick, why didn't we throw Pokemon in the remaster? What a shame. Sorry. It's a, uh, we don't yeah, need that's to, a good point, it's actually. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was really good, wasn't it? Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, you're right. No, you're right. Um, like the whole thing with like Mario, there was 5.2 million different Mario games and stuff, and you don't really play Mario to see what's, what's going to happen to Princess Peach or anything. You enjoy the platform. It's a cool game. It's fun. Nintendo Go. have a very basic premise behind their games like you rescue pre peach battle ganon or ganondorf whatever he goes by these days and say when you get the metroid games it's always shoot crap out all the aliens and beat the game it's a very premise very basic a to b to c it's actually like the the most basic five act structure that you learn in primary school so it's meet the hero princess is kidnapped meet the father go on the adventure return with the princess it's that's what you get taught in primary school can i throw a question in there though that kev might not agree with i don't think zelda has very good story i think the gameplay is phenomenal and the story so much silence the story <laughs> no, I'm waiting. It's fine. I, I, tried to, I was trying my artist to write a zelda game in and i've played loads of them and i've loved them but they're not I don't find the story great thinking about it. And the obviously Zelda, Link, should I say, has no fucking character progression, does he? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Funnily enough, I actually agree with you a lot uh, to an extent. In individual Zelda games, absolute nail head. Does that Yeah. Princess is in trouble. Grab her, shove her off, come on. Chuck a holy arrow at him, he's dead right here. She's back with 750 Zelda Yeah. Well, actually, actually, I'm going to stop you there, Kev, because this will go really well for the, a question later on. So remember this if you can, and we'll uh, we'll come back to it. After this, so I will say my second half to so it at the time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah all of this yeah. is gonna all of come this is gonna around. go into the. Song. That's fine. Yeah. So 
before I move on, um, I'll give my answer to this question as well. So for me, it's a very personal thing. Story is a huge part of who I am and who I've been growing up. So when I was a kid, all I ever did was read. Um, I learned how to do creative writing when I was 11. I've been writing ever since. I've got a, I've got a degree in it, for God's sake. And a lot of my early experiences with um, especially the Final Fantasy franchise were, ha- were and have been heavy influences for me. So, you know, I don't think I'd want to be a writer if if I wasn't interested in stories because obviously those two things go hand in hand. So a lot of my favourite games are single-player, narrative-driven games, but that doesn't mean that I don't enjoy games that don't have them. I just, I'm, I have a preference and I, I, I go over to narrative games more than I do multiplayer games. The second half of this question was, does story in games influence the kind of games that you play and enjoy and look forward to in new releases. And I think we I think we vaguely covered this in the last one anyway, but does anybody want to jump in and kind of expand? I'll jump on it. No, yeah. I say it doesn't, doesn't. I said earlier it sort of doesn't, doesn't. But I always, I religiously buy Call of Duty every year, but I love the campaigns on Call of Duty. They're so over the top. I mean, I, I bought a sound system just because I like to hear the explosions sound better. And it, it, it yeah. is just so cinematic, some of the scenes in it. And the graphics are really good on them these days. I mean, they still use the engine from like 2002, but <laughs> the graphically they've improved it. Um, but yeah. it, 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 for me, every year it's a purchase I do buy. I buy it digitally, uh, so it's already there for me to play. It sounds incredible. It looks incredible. The story's really good. And then, the, and then after a hammer the campaign, I go on the multiplayer and I play the death out of that. Um, well, obviously, the multiplayer has no story to it at all. It's just run around, kill each other. I think it depends on the game for me. And I think now that we're in a, of an age where gaming's come a long way, we have titles that get released that are old titles or mm. new or old new versions of old titles or yeah. the next instalment of an old title. Final Fantasy, for example, is a good one. That I know they, none of them are well. Some are now canon, ten to thirteen to whatever you want to call them. But they are some of them are canon. But when a new Final <laughs> Fantasy comes out, it's it's ingrained in us from way back when that we like that game. When a new Resident Evil comes out, except for Resident Evil Six. When a new Resident Evil comes out, it's ingrained in you that you like that game. You you will yeah. be drawn towards it. And it doesn't matter if it's going to be single player. It could be, well, maybe not multiplayer in Resident Evil World, but it could be a multiplayer game and you might be drawn to it, even though that's not your forte. If you love the series, it might be something you do. They could release, for example, Batman's new, well, it's not Batman, is it? The new Batman game that's coming out that's going to be a multiplayer co-op game. It's ingrained in us that we know the Batman games are good. We know the stories are really good. We know the action, the gameplay is really good. So we're probably going to be drawn towards it. So I think it does impact us because we know that we used to like them and we know that the stories are going to progress. So I do think for me, it impacts me on, I'm going to buy one because I know that I will enjoy that story from a previous game I played. But at the same time, I'll just play it. I play Cat Quest. So I ain't got to <laughs> let that on. Kev, what do you think? It's basically cemented me as a PlayStation player, and I won't go complete boot with a Sony or anything like that. But the only thing really I see about it is the fact that even with new-gen consoles, because Sony's really found their footing with narrative, cinematics, etc., and all the rest of it, don't get me wrong, you do get them on other platforms and stuff, but this seems to be their thing now. Like yeah. Spider-Man, you've got a War, you've Horizon and stuff. But if you notice, for those three that I just mentioned as well, two of them have got either remasters or 60 frames, sorry, yeah, 60 frames 4K updates. The other one was Horizon that hasn't. But I've recently replayed through Horizon and it doesn't need touching at all. 
But the yeah. fact is, there are all three of these games have sequels in the works. All these, and it's not just for cash flow. It's because they have been crafted by teams that obviously love each franchise. Or like, you know, Spider-Man 2018 is a love letter to Spider-Man. It's so yeah. good. But then you've got to think that if Sony uh, patching PS4 heavy hitters for PS5, they're clearly holding them dear. And they're like, right, we know what to do. All these things about remasters and stuff and reboots seem to be a thing. Like, yeah. Tomb Raider got rebooted at the end of the PS3 360 cycle, but then it got redone on PS4 with, obviously, the trilogy, and they're still making more. But it's not a bad thing. Some people would be like, oh, we're just churning out more of the same thing. But sometimes that's not always a bad thing. Like, people say some things are generic, but they're generic for a reason because they are successful. So it depends on what you're after, really. But there's um, three things that I've got that I'm looking forward to in quarter two are uh, Resident Evil Village. Because as mm-hmm. Joe say. Resident Evil, you know, if you've enjoyed past entries and stuff or the direction it's gone in, because that's something that it went a bit funky for a bit. But then if you look at the difference between Resident Evil 6 and 7, that's a complete reinvention of it. Absolutely. And it did so well. I mean, like, I don't see what's for Scary Cat to play it through. I've watched a million speedruns and playthroughs. Still into it. Returnal is another one, which is by Housemark, which is interesting because uh, these normally been mobile games. But for Sony to put a lot of money into a mobile game company to make Returnal, which again looks fantastic, looks like this cool sort of permadeath, dead spacey, Resident Evil sort of thing that's not as gory by looks, but still looks really cool. And then the Mass Effect remasters. Yeah. Yeah. So I will swiftly move past Mass Effect 1 and I'll get flamed in the comments for it, but you know. <laughs> it, 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 I'll tell about that game. Um, pose the yeah. question on a different head, though. If you're going to buy a new release because i suppose old releases like we're saying there resident evil you know you know you're gonna enjoy it yeah if you're gonna see a new release do you look at the trailers and go that looks good or do you read about well what's it about and that's what makes you buy it i suppose that's a good way to think about it like if you're gonna look at cyberpunk did you look at cyberpunk for that that looks incredible looks really cool it's got it's got really nice things happening that's wrong well, to go on too much of a tangent actually from that and we'll come back to it don't worry one thing that Gemma actually said to me a while ago when we were on um, in a party chat, which actually really hits home now in hindsight, is why were we excited about Cyberpunk? Like, yeah, we're like right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, like, Cyberpunk looked incredible, and everybody loved The Witcher and stuff, and, you know, CD Projekt, yeah, 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 we won't talk about it now. It looked cool, it had Keanu, there was all these good things that were happening, but... What the fuck was the story? I think yeah. it just looked really good, didn't it? And it had well, this, Keanu this Reeves. Kind of, this was kind of my point when I brought it up a while ago, because I once said to... And Kev was there, and I think that's why... Because he was part of the conversation at the time. I said to people, why, it, why are people legitimately looking forward to cyberpunk? Visually, it looks stunning, not denying it. But every trailer I watched, and this ties into one of my answers for later on in the episode as well, the, the thing with cyberpunk is that every piece of news that I read about it, every trailer that I watched of it, I was looking for the story. And there was no story. They gave us yeah. Keanu Reeves and was like, off you go. And it was like, but what is it about? And I still, mm. I still don't know, obviously. I mean, I haven't played it, but I haven't seen anybody talking about a story in the game either. So, yeah. Uh, The story is very, very basic. When you look at, like, other... Compare it to, I say, The Witcher, which obviously had its own previous um, iteration in books. But Cyberpunk has this big RPG lore from the 90s and before then. But the game feels very 
claustrophobic in terms of its approach in, in narrative. We, we all have Keanu tinted glasses on. It's all right. Something to be ashamed of. Yeah, I did. I was just like, no thanks. But I, like, yeah. I understood the hype for it because visually it looked amazing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm not, I'm not denying it. anything yeah. about. I bought about into the hype. Releasing. Yeah, yeah. I think so a I, lot of people did, and I, I understand why. Yeah. But I'm going to do a hot take, and I don't want to rub anyone, especially Ed, who has played the game and enjoyed it the wrong way. But uh, here we go. I played Cyberpunk for two hours, three hours, and the only thing I got out of it. And we're not talking about books, because I played it on a PS5 and it ran fine. It was like, it was a weird mishmash of Deus Ex and futuristic GTA. Yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of people, they think it's nothing like GTA, we're our bitch fucks and all the rest of it. <laughs> it fucking was. It was weird. Don't get me wrong, I wanted to love that game, because like you guys, I bought into the hype, and I was like, wow, I'm really excited about this game, I don't know why, but I'm going to play it. But if they put on it, and then I was like, oh... Yeah. <laughs> okay. They had done the trailers in the way that, say, Final Fantasy do, when you know where you see someone, someone's in a big fight, two people clash swords together, and then you see some guy with really long blonde hair that's the bad guy, and then someone fires a magic, then Ifrit appears, then Shiva appears, and then Bahamut appears, and then you see a massive explosion, then a comet's going to hit the planet, and you're like, oh my god, all this looks so good, why are these things happening? Yeah. I want to know if they had done that in the obviously in the vein of whatever big things happen in Cyberpunk, would that influence us to buy that game more? Because we're like that story looks really interesting. I want to know why Keanu Reeves is saying you oh you're awake yeah. or whatever the fuck he said yeah. in the trade. <laughs> I, I mean, it would have worked on me. I mean, if you if I think like Ed said, the story was quite small. So maybe they didn't really have in the end anything to work with trailer wise it was like what do we show oh well we spend every waking hour creating this city well. and all of the weird niche side quests within it let's just advertise the crap out of that, that but if they'd have done it you know if they had an actual fully fledged story to tell they could have built a trailer around that and, and probably garnered even more hype mm. yeah. yeah you've ruined Final Fantasy trailers for me I, I can't they're tainted now because they're all the same. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> can't do it. And then there's a dragon, and then cut to black, and then release date. You know, uh, <laughs> the way that Cyberpunk showed you gameplay and graphics. If Final Fantasy t- uh, 13 was to just show you the battle mechanics, it's just not enjoyable. It is. It is. Don't be wrong. I love it, but it, it's just not like yeah. you're not going to you're not going to be buying. We're not going to be doing that. Are you? That's not yeah. a thing to show games, is it? Though three people stood stood opposite four enemies. It's just not, it's not in no, the thing is, unless problem. you're into that already as a fan, mm. you know, fuck yeah, it's not more of that. But if, like, if you were some kid watching it, like, you know, like in the tellies and gaming stuff, where, like, you know, mom, can I have that sort of thing? And then <laughs> mom would be like, the fuck is this? There's just seven blokes on the screen. Yeah. So, <laughs> just so, to see. They're going to buy the game with the guy that dives out a window with an Uzi and pops loads of guys. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, in and then Keanu Reeves pops on the screen. You're going to go, oh my God, look how cool that looks. That was That's yeah, what sells that money. That was that they got Keanu when it was even naughty and they brought him out at E3. That's uh, like... That's, he taken. He's a walking pre-order. Uh, everybody's he breathtaking is. and yeah he is indeed breathtaking himself though so it's fine yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> we can so forgive I mean, keanu reeves it's not his fault. It was those last... oh no not we we need keanu he must be protected um yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i've got a point to make on this mass effect when that first came out i wasn't sold on the gameplay by of it but i was sold on the lead writer who was behind the game 
There's a guy called Drew Carpation. Um, he wrote the Knights of the Old Republic 1 and 2, which yeah. are games very, very Incredible dear to me. Game. They pretty much, like being an Xbox gamer back in the day, they were the RPGs for me. And not just because it was in Star Wars. The way the gameplay was woven into the narrative and uh, all yeah. that stuff, it was just a fantastic experience for me. It still has a huge fan base. Yeah. Because yeah. Like, um, I saw that this is like the new, uh, the new Bioware RPG by Drew Carpation. It's like, right, that's the game sold on me. Yeah, the gameplay compared to 2 and 3 wasn't that great, even compared to Knights of the Old Republic wasn't that great. But I persevered with the game because I knew the story was going to be top-notch because this guy was behind it. He was the mastermind. Yeah. And they sold the game purely on that story point because I knew, I, was, I knew what I was getting into. And that's the first time and probably last time I've bought a game based on the lead writer. Yes, so in that case, the story... The, the potential for the story was what influenced you to look forward to yeah, Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Because I'll say I've even gone out and bought the guy's books that he's written. Yeah. Like he's written some great yeah. Star Wars novels, some great Mass Effect novels. And the guy has a handle on fantastic sci-fi writing. Mm-hmm. And I knew as soon as he was attached to this project. That you were just um, all in. It was great. And <laughs> it, was a, it was a very sad day for me when he announced he was leaving Bioware and stopped working with them. Because I knew like a part of that company had died. Yeah. A part of the soul had been removed because it was such an influential part to the storytelling. I know it's quick yeah. point with that because you said about Mass Effect. Does does the point of story does it in, do you think it influences any of you guys on if you make decisions within the story that affect the story, or are you happy just to play through a story? Uh, see, this is like a whole other... Gonna, we're yeah, going into wide-open territory yeah. right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, it, it undoubtedly yeah. does, because it's play-your-own-adventure. It's, yeah. you know, if you're reading this story, what do you hope happens next? So because you have control, you get to decide. You get to choose how that story goes based on your personal preferences of what you like to see. Like Mass Effect did it better than Fable. Yeah, but everything did be better yeah. than Fable, Ed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's best if it was not directed by Peter Molyneux. <laughs> <laughs> the best thing yeah. about Fable was when they released Fable 3, and I could just hold people's hands. That was the best thing about it. Oh, okay. the best thing about Fable 3 was the dead rude garden names. Garden names. There was like 43 or some like really obscure number of names. And like you found them like around this little village, and I was like, oh bloody hell, you're ugly. And there's like another one come out. Yeah, if it was like really like overly like British with the way they said stuff, but it was like really they didn't really swear or anything, but they just insulted you and it cut to the core. And it was just like, oh mate. So yeah, that's impressive notes. So, yeah, the real reason is that Ed loved Mass Effect is because he really wanted to romance Garrus. Let's let's have it. Hey, no. <laughs> Garrus is Bay. He's hey. <laughs> Very own Squidney Houston. He's he's yeah. uh, modifying the weapons all the time, and he's such a reliable lad. That's such a strange euphemism. Always gets to be, is it? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll never win against Garrus fans, honestly. I've tried. Oh boy, Gal. <laughs> they just love that guy. So, story definitely, obviously, influences the kind of games that that I play and look forward to. Um, it's like I said earlier, if I'm if I'm looking at a new trailer or something, I'm looking for the story. Um, and if the story doesn't seem like it's there, then I'm not 
you know, I don't write that game off, but I definitely have it on like a mental back burner just to kind of be like, this looks interesting, but there's nothing for me to be invested in yet. So I'm just, I'm going to wait until there's more news about it. But it's like, even I think a lot of the time we miss out on indie games. Like we always forget to mention indie games, the games that aren't on a huge cinematic scale um, as such. Things like um, you've got Journey, Faye, Spirit of the North was one I recently played, which is you play as a fox trying to reunite with his soulmate because they're the Northern Lights and the world is in jeopardy because they're separated. So it was a beautiful story and it was a beautiful game. And I just think a lot of indie games have really just kind of looked over a lot as well. When it comes to new releases as well, trailers will tell you everything you need to know. And that's why trailers are really important. We know what kind of game we're going to be getting into based on the trailer that we see um, because we know what the codes and conventions of genre is even if we don't realize that that's what we're looking at so we know what a western is because of what's involved in westerns with what we've been told over the years we know what's in a sci-fi because of the things that you see in sci-fi movies these are things that we know even if we don't realize what we're looking at is structured on purpose but one of the things that i wanted to mention before i moved on and it was something that we were talking about earlier as well like, I'm really glad that single-player story-driven games seem to be making a slow comeback. Like, they seem to be quite a big focus right now because the market has been really, really oversaturated with multiplayer experiences for so long. And it just feels like a bit of a relief to see that companies are starting to refocus on, on narrative games just a little bit more. Like, it's not balanced out at all, but they're there and we know that they're coming. And, like, it's going to influence a lot of my purchases throughout next gen especially. Don't tell that to EA. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> EA who famously said single player games are dead and they'll never sell. And then went on to sell Jedi Fallen Order, but totally yeah, ignored the exactly. fact it was a massive success because they yeah. didn't want to be wrong. Yeah. And this goes back into what I was saying right at the beginning was that how much do gamers really care about narrative games? Because a lot of companies seem to believe that people don't care. And then you've got like, the dedicated few that are like we have a story to tell and we know that there are fans out there that want to experience the story you know ed talking about the the writers of, of cyberpunk and everything like i would probably follow neil Druckmann to the ends of the earth i've loved almost every single story he's ever done in in video games and as a writer myself he's very influential to me I'd like i aspire to do character development the way that he does character development because it's it's just you don't see it in other games and you don't see it coming from other companies and I just think that that's really what sets what sets him and probably Naughty Dog as a whole apart from other game devs as well two points on it that I just wanted to put on that you said about indie games being so good I mean I, I buy a lot of indie games randomly and just batter them like I said Mayo don't count I mean I bought Mayo but Cat Quest 1, and I finished Cat Quest 1, I bought Cat Quest 2, and the story is dead funny, the story is re it's really childish story, as in not kids game, as in just stupidly funny, but yeah. really well written, really good game, really enjoyable, definitely worth the money, if, especially if it's on sale, at like seven quid, it's so worth the money, and then overcooked, to the point of where trailers are so important, when I'm scrolling through the PlayStation Store, I press on a game, and, and the, even the image, the image takes me in. If the image looks good, I'm going to click on it if it's on sale and see what it is. And then I go into it, then I swipe up, and it comes up with the trailer. And if the trailer is a bag of crap, I just go back out of it. But if the trailer yeah. draws me in like Cat Quest was originally, no reason for it. <laughs> when I worked at game, I just kept seeing it in the box when I was putting stock out, yeah. and people randomly kept buying it every so often. 
And I looked at it on the store and the trailer was really funny and really good. And it told me about yeah. the story of this cat that needs to be the hero. But then then eventually bought it. And I, honestly, I yeah. played through it in like three days because it was that the story was that fun. And it also had a really good RPG grind element. But the yeah. story got really gripped me. I quite enjoyed playing through that. And then to the point where you said about, and Kev said about it, the EA said that single player was dead. I think that the problem you have with single player is, I was going to say there's no money in it. Obviously there is. How do I say the right way of putting it? There's no continuous money in it, if that makes you can't sense. Leather microtransactions you can't, in it. Yeah, you can't just yeah. leather a load of them in it. There's no yeah. micro, There's no continuous income from it, is there? The Whereas, only way you can do it is character skins. And yeah, but, there's only so many people will buy. But you can't show them off if it's single player, can you? And that's why no. Fortnite does so well. I mean, Fortnite was originally a standalone disc game that came out, and then they've just panned all of that and just play the multiplayer. So, well, it, it, yeah. wouldn't it just be a case of like, you know, with multiplayer games and, and games that have microtransactions, these games are designed to live for a long time. Narrative games don't have that because they they build it and design it in a way that earns them enough money to sell enough units of it to use that money to then build the next one. Mm. It's a very different process, I think. But, but that's I, where yeah, I know exactly. What you mean. Unfortunately, yeah. I think that's where that if if it was our money, if we had all this money, are we going to give it to person A who's going to go? Well, I'm going to make this game, and if I sell this many units, I'm going to make you this much money. And person B goes. I'm going to make this game, and it's probably going to not cost as much as that, and I'm also going to attach a load of stupid skins to it, and kids are going to buy them, and I'm going to make you money. And then when they bought all them, I'm just going to release another skin, and they're going to buy that. And then when yeah. we're really big, I'm going to tie in with Marvel, and then we're going to make a we're going to put Thanos in it, and then we're going to sell more skins, <laughs> and, it's going to, and it's going to continue to make COD. COD yeah. makes three billion, you know, and and they but make three an on, billion. It's an game ongoing player experience. This is yeah. Like- yeah, and that's where the service, though, isn't it? This is where. Yeah, that's that's yeah, I think that's where. Service. The only way you can add any more monetary value to a to an existing narrative game is story based DLC, Just like season that. passes and stuff. Like um, Ubisoft are the devil when it comes to Assassin's Creed, where it got to a point where, and it's gross, but it's a thing that is literally we're used to and we have been for over a decade now. Season passes are a thing. I remember season passes when they were first introduced. And like online passes with EA games. Like when I used to work in Brussels oh, yeah. many moons ago, any EA game, and I'm not just talking about FIFA, if you bought a pre owned copy of a game, you cannot get the online stuff unless you pay £8 for a season. So you're an online pass, which is yeah. gross. Like I remember I bought a second hand copy of Dead Space 2, and I was like, this is so good. And then if you want to do anything else, by the way, it's $7.99. It's like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> you know, if you put on Xbox to play back for compatibility, it asks you for your online pass, and you can't even get it anymore. Do you know, it's actually good guy Xbox that didn't charge for backwards compatibility. The thing is, with like the Xbox One generation, like they were like, yeah, by the way, it's backwards compatible, let's go. Whereas they could have like gone the other way and like, oh, it's chargeable or for a fee or like, you know, yeah, PlayStation Now, which is a whole yeah. thing, because they literally, you, could, you can't put old PlayStation discs in a PS4. They just don't yeah. register. So I know, like, Sony aren't really one for games as a service, but, like, at the point I'm really making is that it's cool that Xbox are doing that whole thing where, like we say, there's no new stuff, but there's, a, like, a four-generation back catalogue go nuts. I still think it sucks that, like, if you wanted to play FIFA online, it costs you an extra tenner. Yeah. I'm not a FIFA guy, so I don't care. But, like, for other people, that sucks. The amount of people that were, like, pissed at me when I told them. 
And I was like, <laughs> it was. It was a real thing. People will kick off about everything because people are people. Yeah, it's true. Um, but yeah, online pass bad. Single player. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> yeah. So that's the, uh, no, the blueprint as well, just to finish it off, sorry. Um, it's like Ubisoft now create games with DLC in mind before a completed product. Yeah. Like the worst demo one, and I think Joe would have been caught out by this as well. Assassin's Creed 2. Oh, yeah. Assassin's Creed 2, I think it had 13 or 14 chapters, which is fine, but in order to get the complete experience, you have get to the get to 12.99 to get chapters 10 and 11. Yeah. Like, it wasn't even, like, post-story or, like, prelude. It was, like, literally, you are all right. deep in the story. By the way, pay 12 quid. So, that's the scumbag way of doing it. And like, I think they've started to phase season passes out now, though, aren't they? Like, COD don't do it anymore. Like, the new COD is, they've just released the new Zombies, which you used to pay 40 quid for your season pass to get the Zombies, man. The new yeah, COD yeah. does it as an update, season update. So, I think I think maybe they've started, Ubisoft had, Ubisoft are just dead behind the ball. Yeah, but yeah. They, they've started to, to sift that out. But again, that's that's because the money's made in releasing a free game using your engine and just bang loads of microtransactions on it. Yeah. yeah. Think- yeah the season pass has changed shape because like, they give you the maps and the game modes and all that stuff free. But the season pass now is all about customizable skins and exclusive character looks and banners and all that jazz. Stuff yeah, to make yeah. your game look pretty. Like a certain weapon build might give you an edge up, or like a certain weapon, but the gameplay is level regardless. The um, season pass has changed shape, that's all. It's not just, um, they've not phased it out, they've just changed the way they approach it. Yeah, yeah I think I think there's a lot less pay to win now than there was like two years ago. Like, pay to win was everywhere in games as well, and it was just like, people at first were kind of into it, and then they were like, no, I don't want to keep paying money to get better at a game that I shouldn't have to invest so much money into being good at it. <laughs> I think that Battlefront 2 was the boiling point. I yeah, that changed everything. Yeah, it like, it was one of those things where, like, online passes and whatnot that they had that we were talking about a minute ago, we kind of got used to it, and then there was a thing, and then there was another thing, and then there was microtransactions, and then it's, it's got to this extent before somebody said, right, that literally is taking the mic shamelessly. Yeah. Right, we need to talk about this. And it took that, and it took an entire game to get overhauled, yep. as well as Shadow of War, which had to have its engine redone. <laughs> which, you know, that's where you are with stuff. Where that's how much of a problem it became. But on the flip side of it, the one thing I was going to say before we move on, um, it's just a quick one. The best way for, or the best example of single player DLC I've ever seen is probably the Frozen Wild. Oh, it was so good. It was so good. It's so worth the extra money as well. For, for two reasons. The fact that it was really good gameplay and you already mm-hmm. knew Horizon was good, so it was a good game and you knew for that price point you were getting a good experience. And the fact you got about 30 hours was nuts. And you could tell that they enjoyed the story and that was crafted, you know, do you remember what video games are actually at instead yeah. of being cash cows? <laughs> they literally said, like, you know, we enjoy this game. It was a financial success, but also they genuinely loved doing it. Yeah. So it didn't feel like forced. It was a nice surprise when they said, oh, by the way, there's no story. Yeah, like, it was good that it didn't feel like an add-on. It literally felt like a continuation of the story as well. It was yeah. like, oh, I'm definitely going to get it because I really enjoyed the main game. So why wouldn't I? Like, I enjoyed the gameplay and the open world experience. And then when I actually played it, it was a long DLC and it was a continuation of the story and the lore that we had already experienced in the main campaign. It was a brilliant DLC. It's one of my favourite DLCs of all time. 
big shout outs to Left Behind and Lost Legacy. Yeah, definitely. Yes, absolutely. Agree. Yeah. yeah. I think you're both right that it's, if it's a continuation, I'm not, I'm not like Fallout, I really enjoy the DLCs, but the more like go off and do this if you want to. Mm-hmm. But I like it when a DLC is continuing where I've got to or before yeah. where I get to. Do you know what I mean? It can be before or after, like, like um, mm-hmm. Left Behind. But yeah. I like that. Or, or if it, or, you know, last um left for dead where it can be new maps because that's not got a story as it but if it's if as long as it adds something substantial like that that makes me want to go out so i finished the story all these people are living all these people have died here's what happens the next year or two after that that makes a lot more sense to me than go off and do this if you want to do it yeah the only other one as well that's actually too big to be a dlc but it doesn't feel like it's a little game is miles morales it's a short standalone game like lost legacy and stuff because like Lost Legacy is an, is a nine to ten hour experience within itself, so it's yeah. like is Miles Morales the same? A little bit longer. A little bit longer. Yeah, that's cool. So the next bit is um, narrative versus character. So we've already, like I said from the beginning, this is going to be a huge topic, and we've already made this topic massive. So this is probably going to be more tangents. <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna start this this one off with my answer just to get it out of the way and then we can delve into you, you what you guys think as well so the first part of the question is do you think that the story affects the characters that you like or dislike the most so just as kind of a generalized answer the narrative should always be moved forward by the characters and not the other way around that is the general consensus so this is something that i always look at when it comes to stories that that I like most and the characters that are involved within it. And it then plays a huge part in what I think of that character as well. If the protagonist is just going through the motions and just along for the ride, then that character probably holds zero importance to the plot. You could change that character out for somebody else in that story and it would still be the same story. If you have a story that's unfolding because of what the characters are doing, then that means that they are the ones that are making a difference in the narrative, whether it's for good or bad. And it's a tricky balance because as somebody who writes, you know, myself, I understand how hard it can be to get that down to an exact science because there isn't one. When it comes to the stories and our characters, you know, especially our heroes as well, we need to feel invested in order to care about what's going on in the story. We want to see the protagonists succeed. We want to see the villains fail. But the really cool thing is that these things can be interchangeable. So sometimes we become more invested in the villain's story and the anti-hero than we do the straight-up hero who is delivered to us from the beginning, who the story is supposed to be about. I would like to know, Ed, what you think. Does story affect which characters you like or dislike most? I think it does, because um, I say when you look at, say, ensemble casts in stories, like with your RPGs or I say with like Gears with the Delta Squad, you always find yourself gravitating to certain personalities within that group. Mm, And they help like either carry the um, story along with like, um, they're the strong silent type. They're talking through action. Or you've got the comedian or you've got the ally or you've got the mentor. And all these different character archetypes all come together to tell a story and push that story forward yeah and it's it's i i think it is essential to a a good story but you have this character growth and character development but i've always found that myself gravitating towards the villain of a story rather mm. than a hero 
because a hero's journey is only as good as the obstacles he overcomes to yeah, achieve absolutely. his quest. And then you've got like another character type I look towards is the mentor who guides the hero. Like one of my favorite ones of that example is Ram Kota from Star Wars The Force Unleashed, who was a really good, I thought, more well-written than Starkiller. And he had more of a character development because he went blind and he pretty much turned into a drunk who then re refound his Force abilities and then led Starkiller to go up against Vader and the Emperor, mm. which is a much more interesting story than just some puppet who was used to hunt down people. I could, like I say, I could talk about this forever because I, I, I went on a massive deep dive in looking at <laughs> character archetypes and... Yeah, the way the stories are built in like fantasy and sci-fi, like you've said before, like they have a certain mold to them. I think it's a character story and progression is so important, and it is when it's it done right, is. it does it works perfectly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and it's it's such a the balance of the two is something that like um like a lot of people that that just start out as writers as well. It's probably the hardest thing to get down, and it takes years of experience because. There's no wrong or right way to do it. There's only like guidelines and writing, especially creatively is so freeform that you don't have yeah. to follow the rules. So, you know, it's really interesting to see the ways that, you know, even in movies that like the ways that character archetypes that we're so used to seeing throughout our entire lives are being turned on their heads and people prefer villains to heroes. It's, it's become a huge thing now. Like people are just so much more invested in a good villain than a hero that we've seen a million times before. Yeah, absolutely. Just like you got like like Harry Potter and Voldemort, and you can go look in the backstory, and you got Voldemort, such more interesting character than just some orphan with a scar who just happens to be thrown into destiny. Yeah, exactly. You, yeah, you got the politics behind that story, and then you got yeah. Sauron in Lord of the Rings as well. It was like again, when you look back into Tolkien's story, he's a much more dynamic character than the heroes of the Fellowship. Absolutely, Joe. What do you think? I mean, we sort of. The bit we mentioned earlier about having Zelda as a character, or Link, should I say, as a character that doesn't grow. And the way, obviously, I'm not a writer, uh, my degree's in music, but the way you sort of set some of the fundamentals out about the character shouldn't just run along for the ride and should drag the story, not drag the story necessarily, but drag the story forward. It should be, it should yeah. happen because they create it. I mean, if I'm honest, does, does Link just go along for the ride? I mean, he does do the <laughs> stuff, he does kill the bad guys, and he does get the does get the water suit and he goes underwater and he just goes to the fire temple but does he just go through the motions because he's not the driving he's the driving force in destroying enemies but he's yeah. not he's based on the change. thing the way the way that i look at it is is the character how can i explain this um it doesn't emotionally is, is, change or anything. Is, is the character driving the story forward or are they having things happen to them? Yeah. There's yeah. a big distinction. Yeah. So the things it, that Link is going through are happening around him. Yeah. But he's not like he's not causing these things to happen, if you know what I mean. I've got your answer, Gemma. Good, if you chopped his head off, he <laughs> was a headless person, that game would still be the same. It would, exactly. And I'm not binning Zelda off and Link and them. I'm not binning them games off in the slightest. So I don't want no. people that listen to think that I'm a nagging on them because I'll, I think they're great games. And I'd say I've played loads of them, but yeah. when you think of it from a story perspective, do do I play them because I enjoy the gameplay? And especially with the latest Zelda, well, not the latest now, is it? Because Link's Awakening was the remaster, was the latest one. Um, but with the big one on the switch is that that 
the gameplay and the physics engine was so good, and that's why we enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, but it does. I mean, I'm a massive Metal Gear Solid fan. Uh, but other than Snake getting older, <laughs> I mean, his character does develop loads. I put him in, in my notes when I was thinking about it. That game just makes no sense. I love it. <laughs> yeah. It don't make any yeah. fucking sense, does it? I mean, you've got like six vampires in the games. So, <laughs> so if we don't you want to get flamed in the comments. So you are. Yeah. I don't get Kojima. I don't get it. I, I don't understand it. Like everyone's like, he's a genius and stuff. I'm like, what? Why? What? Uh, what has he coherently done? What? What awesome narrative has he done? Well, it, and I, that's I, every Metal Gear and Death Stranding and Silent Hills fan that's going to come attack me now. Yeah, but the one you haven't mentioned is Zone of the Enders, which had a really good story to it. Oh well, yeah. But the only, people, the only reason that thought people bought was Zone of the Enders was the Metal Gear Two demo. That's uh, that's yeah. A, me. yeah. That's straight up on PS2. That yeah. that is why it sold what it did. Well, I mean, the, the story-wise, the games are good. You know, they are they are incredible. I love them. They're, they're so well. I mean, for me, they're so well written. They're, they're over the top. They're way flamboyant. Apart from uh, Rising Revengeance, that's not that's not great. But they're they're not really well. They're not really well. There's some things about them that are just off because the character development is is weird. It's unless you follow it all and you, the way that he released it. So you got Metal Gear Solid One, then you got Metal Gear Solid Two, then Three is set way back before One, and you play as the clone of Snake, who's the original guy that is the big boss, and then Snake is actually a clone of the big boss, and Liquid's a clone of Big Boss as well, mm-hmm. but they're both the same person, and then Liquid dies. So they cut his arm off and attach it to Ocelot because Ocelot loses an arm, but then the arm possesses Ocelot and he becomes Liquid 2. And Snake suddenly develops this thing where he's aging really quickly, but Liquid hasn't aged because he's not Liquid anymore. He's Ocelot-Liquid. And the story is so mental, but they do develop the characters really well. And that, that buys me in. But again, to the point that I made before, is that because I grew up playing them and yeah. that's that's what buys me in because the trailer could show me anything and just bang Metal Gear Solid on the end of Resident Evil 8 I mean that yeah, doesn't look yeah. anything like Resident <laughs> Evil 2, 3 7 didn't look anything like him it was first person but because it was yeah. Resident Evil I wanted to play it Yeah. So, I mean a lot of a lot of what you guys are saying right now ties straight into the second part of this question which is obviously are there some characters that stand out in bad stories like there are stories that we don't understand or are just not written very well but the characters are brilliant yeah i'll i'll jump in um because i am about to explode um zelda games (laughs) (laughs) there we go there we go right so zelda games uh i absolutely agree with the points that you're making link is a boring ass character because he just like you say everything happens around him as opposed to him making a difference the only time you've ever seen any definitive link, he's the guy that's being the hero. He's always at the end of a story, or any sort of flashbacks during Breath of the Wild, like yeah. before he's put in the hundred year sleep and all the rest of it and stuff. Like, oh, he's a bad end. Oh, cool. Every Zelda thing again, blueprint gameplay as opposed to narrative, but the overarching, the whole lore is massive, which is why I've yeah. got a Zelda books and all the rest of it. That's what I find interesting. Yeah. But you know, if he was Joe Boggs that was playing Zelda for the first time or for the twentieth time. You'd probably be like, I mean, this is all kind of cool, but the fuck am I doing this for? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I, I totally agree with that on, yeah. on Zelda. Right, that's not my system for that. Well, my I had an example for a, a pretty decent character who was in a bad story. So I'm going to keep this short and sweet, though, because we need to kind of be rolling on with this now. So Snow from Final Fantasy XIII is the best character, aside from Saz, in that entire first game. 
forget about the second two for a moment. Uh, Snow is the most well acted. Um, he's the most complex. He's the probably the only one who actually drives his own story forward as opposed to things happening around him that he just has to deal with, whereas everybody else is dealing with the things that are happening around them. Um, everybody else in Final Fantasy Thirteen is kind of robotic and stilted, but Snow, and probably helped by the fact that he's voiced by Troy Baker, who, as we know, is is one of probably one of the best voice actors in the business right now, um, he just, that character was so much more lively than the rest of them in, in that entire series. And I think my, where was it? My second choice was Lara Croft. I, I've never really been into the story, like the backstory of where she came from, but as a character, I think she's great. And I think in the trilogy, the, the reboot trilogy, she became a lot more um, fully fleshed out. But yeah, her story definitely. still lacked a lot. The story wasn't that great, unfortunately. Um, but the gameplay itself in those games was brilliant. It flowed really well. Lara Croft as a character is starting to kind of move forward as an actual character. So I really enjoyed the fact that she was becoming more complex as a person and as a human being. Um, but her story still isn't really that great. It's pretty much been the same story since the very, very beginning. And it's not really that interesting anymore. Nathan Drake um, shit all over it, didn't he? He did, kind of, yeah. yeah. He was. I mean, I try and think of that from from the viewpoint of the two different dev companies as well, though. They they both had completely different um, goals in terms of those two games. Uh, same genre, uh, brilliant characters, brilliant story, brilliant gameplay. Uh, but Tomb Raider kind of ends up lacking for some reason, whereas we got Nathan Drake from... Uh, obviously he wasn't originally Neil Druckmann's character but he was just that story Uncharted was so much more it was like and I don't like saying it but it was like you know a game version of Indiana Jones or National Treasure where Mm -hmm. the characters really did drive those stories forward and made them really interesting if you think about it though from a gameplay element Tomb Raider's probably got more to it because Uncharted barring looking for some little shiny hot or globes is nice, but there's nothing else other than just run forward, shoot the bad guys, mm-hmm. jump up chip. Whereas yeah. Tomb Raider was a bit of exploration. It's it's got the exact same cinematic engine stuff. It's got the exact same high end quality polish. Yeah. It's also got weapons and it's got an RPG system. So it's actually got more to it mm. than Uncharted. But that's I what I mean. The, the games are built so differently. Mm. With Tomb Raider, there's so much more to do gameplay wise. Yeah. With Uncharted, it's here is the story. Yeah. And you know, I like I like them both equally, but probably for those two separate reasons. Yes, they are yeah, two definitely. very different experiences. Looking back on them, who else do you remember in the Tomb Raider reboot stories apart from Lara Croft? Jonah is the only one. Who do you look back and think of in Uncharted? All of them, Sully. All of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the thing is, like to both your points, and I do agree that um, Tomb Raider has more to it in a gameplay perspective. I don't want to say it's bland, but it's not got a personality. It's just kind of like, here is big open world stuff to do to that. 100 million collectibles for that. And Uncharted is colourful. Uncharted is colourful, exactly. But it's also, it's just full of personality on every different way. Like, a bit of a random example is probably the jump in Borderlands 1 to 2. Because Borderlands can be a very lonely game on your own. But if you have a look at Borderlands 1, and even Fallout 3... There's only so many shades of brown I give a shit about until I've played 60, 70 hours. Where it's like Borderlands 2, bang, straight away at snow level, bang, you know, lava, this, that, and the other. 
Fallout 4, more for Fallout 76, it's not the best example for anything, but if you look at the colours mm. in that, like, it looks like autumn, it looks like it's got a bit more to it, a bit more vibrancy, whereas it's not brown. As you say, it depends what the flavour is, if you want to sort of like, chuck loads of hours into something for a collectathon, or if you want to have a much shorter adventure maybe, but enjoy it. <laughs>